It's a psalm about what a good king should do. And uh, kind of frames for us all of, what we, all of what we have been doing this summer. So before we read Psalm 72, it's printed for you in your bulletins, it's in your Bibles. Before we read that passage, I do think it's important for us to, to come to grips with something. That we all, as Americans living in Athens, Georgia, we all live in a world where freedom to choose is a very important idea. It's a fundamental right, the freedom to choose. And, and I don't want to minimize that. I, I would not want to live anywhere else in the world. I think it's a beautiful gift that we have been given that, that we have the freedom that we have. But I do think it's always important for us to remember that this, this freedom, this emphasis on the ability and the freedom to choose it also brings with it certain ideas, hidden ideas. And one of those things that it brings with it, this freedom to choose, is this idea that what you think and what you believe really matters. That what you think is good and best and right. Here's the problem with that. Christianity is the proclamation of God entering into this world, into history, where in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has begun to create a whole new world and a whole new humanity. And while in one really important sense, it's very important what you think about that. And I want you to hear that from us at Redeemer, that we do care about what you think about the gospel proclamation. In another sense, it doesn't really matter what you think. Because Psalm 72 reminds us that the king is here and the kingdom has come. And the only question is whether or not you're going to acknowledge it in the here and now. So God has entered into this world not only for our personal salvation, not only for us as Christians so that we can have better lives, so that we can better understand the world that we live in, as important as that is, but God has entered into history and he's come as king and he's changed the structure of reality and it's no longer about us. While we're still important, it's really about him and it's about what he's doing. And we are called as Christians to, to, to be so captured by this vision of life that's presented for us in Psalm 72. We're so captured by it that we want to bring other people along. So let's look at this psalm in light of that. It's Psalm 72. It's the heading is of Solomon. Probably, though, not first written by Solomon. As we read through the psalm, we'll, we'll realize or come to grips with the fact that David, King David, at the end of his life, wrote this psalm. And he wrote it in light of his son Solomon, who is going to be king. He wrote it in light of some of the promises that were made to him before he was king. And ever since that time, the kings, God's people, They've been praying for somebody like what we're about to read. So let's read together Psalm 72. 
Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountain bear prosperity for all people in the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you, talking about the king. May they fear you while the sun endures, as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. Would all the kings fall down before him? All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when they call the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be an abundance of grain in the land on tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Join me in prayer. Gracious Father, risen Savior, Holy Spirit, we ask you now that you would come to us through your word, that you would speak to us in it, that you would... Give us insight that only you can give. Help us this morning to see the king. And help us to live our lives in light of the king who has come. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So some of you, as we just read that psalm, it took a couple of minutes. Some of you will have read that psalm along with me. And you would have said, that sounds good. I like it. And then when we leave, it really won't have that much of an impact on you. Now, there are others. We have a lot of visitors here, I think, this morning. You may have read that psalm along with me, and it sounds foreign. So let me just, let me just put it right out there. This is where we're going. This is what we're going to talk about The truth of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, why we are here this morning as God's people is that God has sent his son into the world to renew the world, to renew our hearts as people, to to restore all humanity. And Jesus Christ, he is Lord and King. So whether you choose to acknowledge him as Lord and King or not, There will be a day when all humanity will bow before him. And the only question is, will you do it voluntarily in this world, in this place, 
or in another setting at another time that won't be nearly as pleasant. That's the proclamation of the gospel. And I realize for some of you, particularly if you don't know me, that that sounds kind of brusque. But I I was thinking about this. If you were about to walk out into the street and be nailed by one of these sorority rush buses that have been driving through the city, if you were about to walk out into that street and be hit head on, wouldn't you like for somebody to come even knock you down if that's what it takes to make sure that you don't get run over? So bear with us this morning because we're going to talk about three things. What does a good king or what should a good king do? Why Jesus Christ is that king? And what does it mean to live with that king? And at the end, we're going to remind ourselves that the the truth of the gospel is that God has sent his son into the world and he is Lord and king and it has implications for all of our lives. So first of all, what is a good king? It's talking about leadership. A king is a leader. Many books have been written about leadership. I have several in my office. Matt has several. Any pastor has many books on leadership. I'm sure many of you have read books on leadership. We admire good leaders. We don't like bad leaders, which means we we have our own ideas about what a good leader is. And usually, if you think you know what a good leader is, you're usually trying to be a leader. Probably, even if you say you don't want to be a leader, you're usually talking to the leader saying what that leader ought to do. Therefore, you're trying to be a leader as well. So everybody's a leader in some sense, right? The problem with that is there's nobody following. And we had, a, we had a term for that in the military. I can't use it here, but it's called a mess. When there are a hundred leaders with no followers. So David and Solomon, they do understand when they're, when they're praying these words, if they are to lead well, if the kings of the future are to lead well, they know that God is going to have to give them help. They know that it's not going to come from inside themselves. It's going to have to come from outside. So they're asking God to give them what they need so that the king and the leader can do what he's supposed to do. So what does a good king do? What do they ask for? Verse 1, they ask, give the king your justice and your righteousness. May he judge your people righteously. Would he judge your poor with justice? Would the mountains bear prosperity Would he deliver the children of the needy? Go down to verse 12. A good king, he will deliver the needy. There's this emphasis on needy, by the way. He will deliver the needy, the poor, those who can't help themselves. He will have pity on the weak, compassion on those that that, that just can't seem to get it all together. He saves them from the oppressor. He redeems them, and he says it's because Precious is their blood in the king's sight. In the Old Testament, you know that life is in the blood. So the, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, it's like precious is their souls. Precious is their lives. The king will love his people. So a good king, one worthy to be followed, as you, as you look at what this prayer is in Psalm 72, he will care for the well-being of all people. 
He will care for everything, rendering right and good decisions, understanding all the issues, understanding all the circumstances so that he can make what is bad good. That's justice. Making what is not right, right. Not only will he bring justice, but he will make decisions in righteousness. Includes the concept of living in accord with what is right. Not what man thinks is right, but what God declares is right. And in God's economy, what this prayer is asking is that the king will do it like God himself, only God himself can do. That's this king as he reigns in justice and righteousness He's supposed to be feared. He's supposed to be honored. And there's so many aspects to what it means to fear the king. But in in this aspect, I think it's good to think about this. The king is a mighty warrior. He is able, even as we we, um, talked about in our affirmation of faith with the shorter catechism, he is able to defeat all his and all our enemies. He's a mighty warrior. But he's not simply a mighty warrior. He's a gentle friend. He's like, if you were here last week, when Rob spoke of his father coming to him late at night after he's been through a bad day or a bad week or a bad year, and his father comes to him and he says, don't worry, I will go through this with you. So this king, when he is to be feared, meaning he's a mighty warrior and he's a gentle friend and he can take care of anything and everything, so much so, listen to the prayer, that his kingdom will never end, both in terms of geography meaning over all aspects of the earth and in terms of time and duration forever, meaning over all things everywhere forever. This king will reign like that. That's what a good king has to do. Not only does he have to do it well and right, justice and righteousness, but he has to do it forever, over all the earth. So powerful, so kind, his reign is so extensive that all the other kings from all the other parts of the world, verse 11, they will fall down before the king. They will be so amazed about this one great king that they will on their own bow down. Gifts and gold will be brought to him. All the needs of the world will be met because ruling with justice and righteousness brings with it Blessing of prosperity to all people, to all the land. That's the references to the abundance of grain, the abundance of fruit, because all things are being made right. That, in a nutshell, is what a good king must do. That is, in a nutshell, what David and Solomon and all God's people have been praying for since this psalm was written. We know from God's word that it didn't work out for David, right? He was a good king, was he not? But you, you do have to believe if, you, if, if David is writing this psalm at the end of his life, he has to know that as good as he was, he didn't do this. He made major mistakes in his life. We do know from history that Solomon started out well, but then drifted away. You do have to believe that even when God's people were praying this prayer alongside Solomon and the future kings, even after the kings, they were saying, this is too good to be true. They had to be looking for something more. Who is going to be a king who knows everything and everyone inside and out, not only knows it, but is able to carry it out? There's one thing to know something. It's a whole other thing to be able to do it, is it not? 
so well that justice and righteousness reign? How's this kingdom going to last forever and extend over all the earth? John Calvin says in his commentary on this psalm, he says, to govern or to rule or to lead well in this way will never grow from the earth. It must come from above. And that's why I think the Apostle Paul says to the letter uh, uh, to Galatia, he says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. You see, here's the ultimate answer to the prayers of David, to the prayers of Solomon, to all of God's people's prayers. Here's, Here's the answer to our own desires, whether you know it or not. This king, this this desire that we have comes in a way that surprises everybody. It comes in a way that surprised or or, uh, David and Solomon didn't fully understand it. It comes in a way when, when the king actually comes, nobody recognized it. And I do want you to consider this. It ought to surprise you a little bit too. Because this king comes not with fanfare, not with glory. He's forced to carry a cross, to hang on that cross, and to die in the most shameful way known to mankind at that time as a substitute for his people. So that those who by faith look to this king, they will be saved. And as they are saved, they are ushered into a new world. Which answers the question, We understand what we're looking for in a good king. Why is Jesus this king? All you have to do is is think about what is it that we want. What is it that we want from a king? We've already said it. He will rule righteously and he will rule justly, which means that he must be able to make everything right, not only in light of what we think is wrong, but in light of what he knows to be wrong, which is much more than we can ever imagine. Because this king has to be able to think about this, sift through the secret things of a person's heart, the motivations of the heart, and not only other people, he has to do it to us, to declare perfectly what is right and make it so. That's what we supposedly want when we're asking for justice, when we're asking for righteousness. Do we really want that? Is this what we want? Because we're quick to say, and and, and I think this is very valid, I am quick to say, I want justice when something unjust has been done to me. Or not only me, maybe somebody that I love, one of my family. I want justice if an injustice is carried out to, to somebody close to me or somebody that thinks like me. And that's not a bad desire. That is a good desire as long as it is in accord with what God says is justice. But we do have to stand back and we do have to think about this. There are some things that won't ever be fixed here on this earth. Have you thought about that? Because we do live in a world now where justice is a big deal and fairness is important and trying to make the wrongs right in this world. We should realize that there are some things that are so evil that have been perpetrated on other human beings that are so wicked that no human person and no human king can completely fix it in the here and now. Some of you may have experienced some of those things. It cannot be fixed by any human system or any human king. 
There's another side of the justice coin. What about justice for somebody like me? For somebody like you? You see, I, I can't take back the many words that have harmed people's souls. I can't take them back. I can't redo the many, many mistakes that have occurred in my life, some of them known, some of them not known. There are some things that I will carry, you will carry in our own hearts for the rest of our life. And even though we've said I'm sorry, even though we've tried to make it right, even though we've, we've, we've even changed some of our ways, there is harm that has been done to other people that we cannot fix. No human being is completely just or righteous in their own right. No human being, no human system all by itself can make everything that is wrong right. Justice and righteousness, as this psalm is asking for, comes through the one who is both and only the one who is both fully God and fully man, and he is the Lord and King, Jesus Christ. And the reason that he is Lord and King is that on the cross, the justice of God is accounted for as he dies for the sin of the world. And after three days, he is raised from the dead. He is vindicated. His sacrifice is accepted. And new life is ushered into this world. And you are either found in him, declared just and righteous, and transferred into the kingdom of light, where all things are being made new, including, including ourselves, or we will stand on our own, in our own kingdom, declaring our own innocence, seeking our own ideas of justice, only to be shown that it's not good enough and it will not work. Because what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ is the, the end time, ultimate justice and righteousness that will be completed in the days that come. It has been transposed into this world, into this time, and it's beginning to take place now. As we experience that by faith in Jesus Christ, our King, what happens is the injustice that you may have experienced on this earth by other people, it is beginning to be healed. And the injustice that you may have acted out is forgiven as he dies for us on the cross. And what this psalm talks about, the, the blessings flowing down onto the mountain from the mountain, it is a vision for what we have received for those who believe from Jesus on the cross. The mountains are bearing prosperity. The oppressor is being crushed. The enemies are licking the dust. It's like rain that falls on the grass, watering the earth, producing an abundance of grain, and there is peace because the poor are delivered. They are redeemed because precious is their lives. See, this is our king. This is why Jesus is the king. It's because of what he does. The kingdom has come. And as Matt reminded me this week, as Richard Pratt says, a real imperial conquest of the world has begun, and it's begun with the coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has come not just to save us as individuals, as important as that is, and I don't want to minimize that, but you need to see a bigger picture for, bigger picture for Christianity. He, God didn't send his son just to save us as individuals. God didn't send his son to, to make it so that you have everything that you need to be happy here on this earth. 
God sent his son to begin the process of changing everything and making it right. Which leads to our last point. What does it look like to live with this kind of king? What is it, I was talking to a friend this week, what does it mean to be close, real close to this kind of king? Because I I often hear it said, I even say it to myself, this all sounds pretty good. I I don't know, you know, it's always unique preaching a sermon because you think you know what other people are thinking and you end up, you don't. You don't have any idea. So I don't know what you're thinking, but when I read this psalm, I think this is is the world that I want to live in. This is what I want. But But I often say to myself, And it often happens to me, and I know that it happens to you because you come tell me about it. This stuff sounds really good. The problem is life comes in, right? The problem is I got to go to work and it messes everything up or the kids aren't behaving the way they're supposed to or there's so much to do at the house. So Oh, and football season's coming, and that's so distracting. You, You realize we have it backwards in this, if you read this psalm, if you, if you look at the dynamic of this psalm. The kingdom, if you read this song, the kingdom is taking over the entire world forever, right? The king's reign is being extended over the world. The world's not coming in. The kingdom is moving out. And I thought about this. In Matthew, Jesus says this. Listen to this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffers violence and violent men take it by force. You know, you can also translate that verse like this. The kingdom has been forcefully advancing and forceful people lay hold of it. Now, either way, it doesn't matter. I'm not sure which way is right to translate that. But either way, it's referring to a spiritual battle, something serious that is taking place. And we need to be ready to fight, not the way the world fights, but the way Jesus, our king, is fought. And that means we lose in order to win. We, we give in order to gain. In weakness, there is strength. So if this king, Jesus Christ, then if this is true, then all these things in this psalm, they are yours. It's happened to you. In other words, the treasures of the king have been given to you. He's fought the battle as a mighty warrior, and he's come to you as a living and kind friend, and he's saying, all that is mine is yours, everything. So what we're supposed to do is take what he's given to us and we share it with the world, and it starts right here, and it starts in our families and moves out from there. Meaning we are to take the the blessings of the kingdom that the king has given us and we're to share it with our spouses, our friends, our children, our neighbors. And when we forget, we repent and we do it again. And and let me just conclude with this. And it's, 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 I don't want, I don't want to lose you here. Why does the world come in as opposed to us taking the kingdom out to the world? Why is that such a real problem? I think it's a real problem. At least you guys that are, you guys and girls that come talk to me. And the other pastors say, hey, yeah, this is all good stuff, but it's so easy to get distracted. In other words, the world comes in and the kingdom doesn't go out. I think the reason is found in verses 17 and 18. Look look what it says. Let me read it. May his name endure forever. May his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him and all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. 
Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Why does the world come in instead of us? I am assuming many of you know that Jesus Christ is king and he is Lord. He has died on the cross. You've been forgiven your sins and you've been made righteous. And all these vague things, these broad categories that this psalm is talking about, it's vague and broad so that you can apply it to the specifics of your life. But the mountains are bearing forth prosperity. The grain is growing. You've been forgiven. The poor of the, 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 you being the poor and the needy, your needs have been met. All these things, right? Why is it that the world comes in and we're not taking it out to the world? We're too concerned for our own name and our own glory rather than the name and the glory of the king. And if we're concerned with our name and our glory and our fame, of course the world will enter in because we're busy protecting our name. We're busy seeking our own glory. We're busy making, pe- making sure that people think highly of us, making sure that we have enough money to do all the things that we do, making sure that we just don't get too tired because we're concerned with ourselves when in fact We've been given all that we need and a good servant of the greatest king doesn't have to worry about himself at all because he has met all our needs. And I don't, I don't say all that to, uh, to make you feel guilty, as Hal said. I want you to realize that the king has come and that he's died on the cross and he's been raised from the dead and everything that you think you need and you probably do need has been given to you in Jesus Christ. And when you realize that, when you realize that that God, your Savior, is a mighty warrior who, who takes his sword and meets out justice and righteousness, is enabled to defeat his enemies and our enemies, when you see your king like that, but not only that, also the one that comes to you at night on your bed and says, I will go through this with you, then you will know that you have everything that you need and then you will be moved out into the world and the world won't come into you. You'll take the kingdom out into the world. And that's why we're here. That's what I want to be about. And I I don't do it any better than you do. That doesn't mean we quit. We have a king, we live in his kingdom and all the riches of the king in this kingdom have been given to us. Let me conclude this way. I mean, see if it takes on a different tone. The truth of the gospel is God has sent his son into the world to renew this world, to restore this world, to make us new, and he is Lord and King. Do you want to experience the king's blessings today? Because we don't really, or we shouldn't, take a chance on tomorrow. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, our King, Holy Spirit, the one who empowers us and makes these things real, I pray that you would bless us and remind us to take the words of this psalm with us, that we would not let the world come in, but that we'd take your kingdom into the world. And I pray that you would do that forcefully and mightily and do it well. In Jesus' name, amen.